Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. I want to talk to you guys this morning about the pathway of vulnerability. Can everyone say vulnerability? Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Amanda, you can put it up. It says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And essentially what that means is God created humanity totally vulnerable and naked and exposed before him and naked and exposed before one another. See, when we hear the word naked, don't allow your mind to go to the gutter because that was the original intention in the way that God created you and me. And because of the fall, we understand our pastor has done a phenomenal job of preaching what happened in Genesis chapter three. We've heard it, we've read it, we see it kind of overlaid our lives today that fear, deception, and hiding is the issue with humanity. But what I've discovered is vulnerability, something that the world talks about is a bad thing. Like it comes from a Latin word which means to be wounded. So in the medical field, when we talk about our body being vulnerable to a disease, that's a bad thing. In, in a military campaign, when we talk about a city or we talk about a region being vulnerable, that's a bad thing. That means they're exposed to greater destruction. But how many of you guys know that the kingdom of God is actually upside down? That the kingdom of God is actually upside down from the way culture thinks and perceives how life really works. So in culture, vulnerability is a weakness, but in the kingdom of God, vulnerability is a strength. See, it's when we're strong and we're brave and we're courage, when we're courageous about the things that are binding us, that's how we get free and that's how other people around us get free. But see, that's the hardest thing to do is to take off our mask and admit that we've got something going on on the inside of us. And see, what's funny is many of us in this room, including me, we've gotten so mad about wearing masks in 2020, but the reality is we've been doing it for years. This is not a word of condemnation. This is not a word that's going to cause us to feel low when we leave this house. This is a word that's going to take us higher as a body. Because what I believe God is doing at New Hope Churches, I believe we hear revival, but I believe we're coming into greater levels of renewal. I believe that we've just scratched the surface. I believe that we have just made our way into the inner court. And see, there's so much more of God that we can access. But what I've learned about accessing God is when we want more of God, God requires more of us. God requires more of you and me to get to a level of intimacy with him and intimacy with one another. Intimacy is best defined as into me you see. But see, that is so hard for us because see, Genesis 2, we were unashamed, we were naked, we were exposed before the Father and one another. There was no secrets, there was no, there was no hiding. But Genesis 3, we fell and we spend our life covering ourselves with fig leaves that have many names. Come on. Come on. My question is, what is the name of your fig leaf? What is the name of a thing that you've been hiding? See, we, see, we, 
See, we come in here and we, we know that there are certain things that we can't confess and there are certain things that we can't really be vulnerable about because if we're vulnerable about those things, then, then we're going to become really, really ashamed of what we've been through in life and the things and the sins that we've committed. But what God wants us to know is the strength of vulnerability is actually in admitting our weakness. The strength of vulnerability is actually in admitting our weakness. So what I want to do is I want to start very, I want to start in the old and then I want to move into the New Testament and I want to preach the full counsel of God and I want to talk about how vulnerability actually frees us, not just individually, but corporately as a body. So 1 Samuel chapter 18 is the first place that I'm going to go. 1 Samuel chapter 18 verses 1. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. This is after the famous chapter in the Bible that we all love as a kid. It's, it's right after the scene of David coming on the scene and God begins to promote him and the prophecies and the promises of his life are being seen because God begins to exalt David before the people. So he just slays the giant and he comes into the accountants of King Saul. And this is what it says. It says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor to his sword. Can everyone say sword? to his sword, his bow, and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted. That's the Hebrew word. It's, it's, he also prospered in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So we've all heard about soul tides in here. We've heard soul tides preached. But what's interesting is the first time this a subject is actually mentioned in the word of God. It's not negative. It's actually positive. We always talk about soul types being negative, especially sexually and through codependence and stuff like that. But see, there's actually a soul tie that's being formed right here between Jonathan, which was the son of a king. His father was King Saul. So Jonathan and Saul are there together. David comes in off the battlefield and they see one another. Jonathan and David, they lock eyes and it says that they began to form a covenant with one another. And see what, what, what this speaks to me and how this really begins to just convict me and pierce me within is because we're great in the church about preaching on accountability. But the Bible doesn't really speak about accountability. The Bible uses the word covenant. Uh-oh. Because accountability is I'm only going to tell you what I want to tell you to make sure I still look good in your eyes. But covenant is literally, it means the Hebrew word means to cut, meaning there's nothing that's hidden on the inside of me that I'm not made known to you. It actually means where I'm going to allow myself to bleed out in front of you and you're going to see the things that are binding me. But see, I'm not just going to tell you what's going on in my life. See, true covenant is there's always going to be an exchange. 
See, true covenant is, I'm not just going to share with you what's going on in here. I'm not just going to watch this. I'm not just going to give you my sword, but I want your sword. Meaning, I'm going to share with you the thing that you could destroy me with. I'm going to give you my sword. I'm going to give you the thing that you could cut me I'm going to give you the thing that you could hurt me. I'm going to give you the thing that I have vowed to take to my grave, the thing that I have hidden in darkness. And I'm going to share that with you because, listen, I'm not really concerned anymore about how I look. I'm concerned more about being free. I'm being more concerned about going back to the beginning of the garden where God created me totally naked and unashamed. And see, we lived our life putting layer upon layer upon layer because, see, the greatest sin in the American church is actually sophistication. We want to come in here, we want to look good, and we want everybody to see us living out of our little fake glass house. We want to put the right things on social media and Facebook and Instagram and see we're all living, we're all living a modern day avatar because we haven't learned the art of being vulnerable. But see, if we ever want to go deeper in God, if we ever want to see revival, there is something called reveal all that God says, if you want more of me exposed, then I need more of you exposed. David and Jonathan. Jonathan does something crazy. And see, I, I hate what liberal scholars do to this text. Jonathan and David were not gay. They were cutting a covenant with one another. And Jonathan learned the very nature of God. And he says, I'm going to derobe myself. What do you think that Jonathan was covered in? What do you think what kind of garments he had on? He was the son of a king. So he was probably dressed in royalty. But he saw David. He saw one that, wow, there's something about him. There's something on his life. There's a prophecy that is just about to come to pass in my eyes. And you know what? I know I'm a part of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to derobe myself, not just of my outer garments, but I'm going to derobe myself. King James says he actually took off his girdle. Do you know what a girdle is? Girdle is the undergarment. So it's, there's something really kind of strange happening in this text, but with natural eyes, we're really not going to be able to understand what's happening in this text. But see, Jonathan, a son of a king, it's actually a prophetic act. He says, I'm derobing myself. I'm taking off everything that I'm covering myself with and I'm cutting a covenant with you, meaning there's nothing on my life that I'm not willing to expose to you. I'm giving you my sword. I'm giving you and showing you the things that I cover myself with because I understand covenant. But see, I looked at this and I'm like, okay, yes, this is historical narrative. I know this actually happened, but everything in the text, if you ask God, if you pray on it, then God will give you a deeper meaning. He'll give you deeper spiritual eyes. So I realized, oh my gosh, this is a prophecy that we had a son of a king derobe himself cut a covenant with you and me that had no promise over our life or prophecy over our life until he showed up, took us 
from the backside of the desert and said, you know what? I'm going to derobe myself. I'm going to put what's on me on you. And see, this is the mystery of the incarnation. This is the mystery of the vulnerability of God. This is the mystery of the empathy of God. See, the difference between empathy and sympathy is this. Sympathy is I can experience your pain from the outside in. But empathy is I'm going to experience your pain from the inside out. Our God is not a sympathetic God. He's an empathetic God. What do you mean by that? That means in the incarnation, Jesus stepped in flesh, derobed himself like Jonathan and said, I'm not coming to bring another message of accountability, but I'm coming to cut a covenant with you. That means I'm willing to derobe myself. I'm willing to expose myself of the, as the invisible God that becomes visible because I just want you to be free. So listen, this... Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ did not just free you from sin. It did that, but it showed you how to do it. It showed you how to do it. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, Jesus died as me. Yes, but he also showed you how to do it. How did Jesus die? See, we, we get a picture of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that looks like Fabio. Jesus don't look like Fabio. And if you're racist, you're not going to want anything to do with Jesus. He derobed himself, made himself a public spectacle. Let me give you a freedom. Let me give you a key for freedom. You want to be free? Make a public spectacle of your sin. Uh oh. Isn't that the answer for vulnerability? Isn't that the meaning? How did Jesus defeat sin? Through his blood, yes, but what was happening? How did he do it? First Samuel says, yes, he derobed himself. Philippians 2, being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery with God, but emptied himself, came as a bondservant, came in the likeness of men, submitted himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He did that, but how did he die? Every Roman historian will tell you that Jesus Christ did not die in garments. Jesus Christ died naked on the cross before his father and before people because he was showing you how through vulnerability to be free from the thing that's binding you. He was totally exposed before his father totally exposed before people because he said there's a secret here because if you can expose your weakest area to the people that love you around you you can be free from that but see we struggle with this you want to know what the kryptonite of vulnerability is it's shame it's shame it's the enemy of vulnerability Brene Brown you need to read her she's a I think she got born again because she, she makes these little statements in her book called Daring Greatly where it says, through this research of, of learning about shame, she says she had a spiritual awakening. And she said about shame, she says this, she says, the less you talk about it, the more you have it. And see, there, I'm not talking to one person in here that does not struggle with some form of shame. I'm, I, don't know how, I don't know how real and how deep to get in here, 
But statistics say that 70% of men in here are addicted to pornography. You want to know how to be free? Tell your wife. Uh oh. Not picking on men. <laughs> wow, it's, wow, it's quiet. Woo. Make a public spectacle of it. Share it. Talk about it. Vulnerability is that gut word. When you hear it, it does something to you. We don't want to be vulnerable. There's three core values of everybody in here. We are created by God to be seen. We are created by God to be known. And we are created by God to be loved. When we're totally transparent, exposed, open, watch what happens. God, you fully see me. You fully see me. God, you fully know me. There's nothing hidden. You fully know me. And therefore, I have the capacity to be fully loved. But watch what happens when we refuse to be vulnerable, when we are dealing with the enemy of vulnerability, which is shame, which is this. I'll only allow you to see me to a certain point. I'll only allow you to know me because if I allow you to fully know me, then you won't love me. Because if you... Get to experience through knowing me what's in me, then you're going to think that I'm dirty. You're going to think that I'm not worthy to be known, worthy to be loved, so we hide. This, I, I know this is hard, but this is freeing. I have had the most painful conversations with my spouse. I have had the most painful conversations with my spiritual fathers. It's not easy, but it's freeing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Love this text. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Let's look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, watch this, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. If that's not the best definition of vulnerability, I don't know what is. The strength of vulnerability is admitting your weakness. Here is an apostle. 
This is not an immature Christian. This is an apostle that has seen the resurrected Christ that has been persecuted and he is letting you in on his diary right here. We don't know what this thorn is. We know it's from Satan. We know the purpose is to buffet him because Paul had some pride in his life. He says it. He's saying because of the abundance of revelations, he goes, I opened myself up to this thorn. We don't know what it is. Some scholars believe it was a sin that he confessed and couldn't get over. Some scholars believe it was a sickness. It was something possibly even to do with his eyes because he talks about this in Galatians, how you would have longed even to give me your eyes. Some scholars believe that it was possibly a type of persecution. It was people. So it could have been a sin, a sickness, or a particular person. And Paul says, I'm not going to hide it. What if it was a sin? What if you marry this over Romans chapter 7? What I want to do, I don't do, but I do the very thing that I hate to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in my flesh. Oh, in my flesh dwells no good thing. But to will, to do good is found in me. But the sin I just can't get over right now. But then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus Christ, my Lord. And you know what he says in the next verse? There is therefore now, now, now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, and it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness as sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Do you see it? How did Jesus defeat sin in the flesh? By exposing himself, making himself an offering, becoming vulnerable before God and vulnerable for people. Paul is looking into this and he's saying, I know I got this thorn in me. I know I got this thing that I can't seem to get over, but I know the power of God is to actually boast about it, is to tell people about it, is to expose it. Because when I expose it, I disarm the power of hell. So we can walk around hiding things and say we're repentant. Re- listen, repentance is not, the, it's not the time in between sin cycles. <laughs> repentance is the absence of them. So we can go on with our life. We can come into a God-fearing house where the presence of Jesus is meeting us every week. We can lift up our hands. We can act like everything's good. Or we can learn to bleed out in front of people. To cut. Covenant. I know what this is. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why God tells me to say this stuff. But he does. So I'm going to just do it. But I'm telling you, where God is taking us, there's things that we have to leave behind. Where God is taking us, there's got to be higher levels of vulnerability. Where God is taking us, there's got to be higher levels of covenant, not accountability. 
Where God is taking us, New Hope Church has got to learn to cast off their garments, to find legitimate, authentic fathers in this house, people that we're not ashamed to confess the things that we've dealt with for years. Listen, there is, there is no shame in confessing the thing that you've struggled with for 30 years. Bless God. The moment you do it, you're free of it. Well, oh, I, you know how many people I deal with in rehab that has, has the tattoo that says, only God can judge me? Only God can, do you know that's biblically inaccurate? First Corinthians chapter five says, do we not judge those that are inside the church? We, we can't judge that are outside the church. Why? Because they're outside the church. They don't know God. But everybody in here, we are open for judgment. Everybody in here, we're open for fruit judgment. I'm telling you, God is taking us higher, and if we will ride this wave, the levels of the power of God that we'll feel in this house will be different than any season that we've walked through before now. All right, go to, are y'all with me? All right, let's go to James chapter five. James chapter five. James chapter five. I'm gonna, I'm gonna land this plane. I'm gonna land this plane. James chapter five, verse 14 says this. It says, is any among you sick? Watch this. Let him say, say him. Him. Say him is me. me. Watch this. This is funny. And God, God moves in the system that we create for him to move in. But sometimes he just blows it over and says, I'm going to move in a different way. But isn't it amazing that the pastor, the preacher guy comes up here and says, now who is sick in your body? Come up front. That's not what the Bible says to do. Watch. It says, is any among you sick? Let you call forth the elders of the church. Uh Oh, so it's on you, not me. It says, let you call forth the elders of the church. And the word sick in Greek means afflicted. It doesn't, an infirmity or a sickness will work. Yeah, it fit inside that box. But so will your secret sin will work in this context. Is any among you afflicted? Let him call forth the elders of the church and let him pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. That means to make whole. It's the word sozo. It means to make whole. It's not soterion. It's not just deliver from evil. It's not just your salvation of going to heaven. It means you will be made whole if you call forth the elders of the church and they pray over you and watch this. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, which means he will be released, the FMI. He will be released from that. And then watch this. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So watch this. Forgiveness, yes, it's vertical. Nobody can release you from your eternal sin but Jesus Christ through the shed blood. That's, that's just a primary issue in church orthodox doctrine. But he says, you can become healed and whole if you confess your sins to the elders of the church. Don't wait for them to call you up here, but you go and get them and get bold and brave and talk about your dirty laundry. And see, what's funny is I look at scriptures like this, and then I look at Acts chapter 2, how Peter couldn't even get done with this sermon. You had people in the crowd, they said, hey, what must we do to be saved? See, we wait, we wait for the altar call to come. 
And then you do a little Simon Says, repeat after me prayer. But at Pentecost, you had 3,000 people going nuts, interrupting him and saying, look, I'm already pierced with the Holy Ghost. I'm already convicted of my junk. What do I need to, what do I need to be saved right now? What do I need to do? And James is, James is capitalizing on that. Imagine if I couldn't even get done with this right now and people are walking up here saying, can I confess now? Can I confess now? I'm tired of carrying this. I'm tired of being uh, heavy. I'm tired of being condemned. I'm tired of being full of shame. I'm tired of not living my best life and being known by people and loved by people because I'm in constant hiding because I can't seem to shed off these fig leaves. But what if as a house we got bold and we got brave and we actually believed what the word of God said and that is if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.